You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy One Muslim Podcast. This is Ozma Jaffrey. And this is Zeba Hassan. Um, and today's date is April 13th, 2020. I think we need a daily reminder because, quite frankly, all the days are blending together for me. <laughs> I don't know how it is for you. I have to wake up every morning and be like, what is today? Is it Monday? Uh, no, Monday? I, check my, I check my phone every morning. No, see, you check your phone. I'm like totally yeah. dazed and confused as to what day it is. So I'm going to start every podcast now saying April 13th, 2020, you know, week four of the quarantine. Like that's how we're going to have to start it. So how has your week, how has your week been going? My week has been really good. I have embraced my inner homemaker, some, Mm -hmm. uh, an identity that I have um, evaded for uh, many, many years now. I was Susie homemaker when I first got married and it was also novel and exciting. And then it lost its charm very quickly. So um, I'm cooking more I have instituted Jai time every day at four o'clock because that that way the kids can have one scheduled snack where after they can potentially leave me alone. It hasn't worked out that way yet. And I have been, um, oh, I just made homemade donuts. Oh, yay. Cinnamon sugar donuts this morning. So that is my inner homemaker. What's going on at your house? Uh, You know, we're getting prepped for distance learning, which, you know, four kids, three different schools, like trying to keep track of all the links. You know, I think the school system is doing the best that it can, but I don't think they quite recognized how many kids I actually have in the school system. So it's a little bit hard to like, I have my list, Mm -hmm. trying to keep it ready, get it ready. And quite frankly, getting the teenagers up before noon that's has been my job i've been like slowly moving their bedtime a little bit earlier and waking them up and they're grumpy but i'm just like you know starting tomorrow you have class at 9 a.m so you need to start getting up so that's kind of what i've been dealing with and you know trying to maintain and do you know be focused and not so grumpy because quite frankly i admit that i'm getting a little bit grumpy in the quarantine quarantine and i'm just going to own the fact that i am and you know, without acknowledging the problem, you can't, you don't have a solution. And that's where I'm at right now. Like it is for somebody who loves that physical contact with people, it's definitely challenging for me right now. Yeah, I totally hear you. Do you have a soapbox for us today? Or is it just like more of the same, more of the same for us? It's kind of more of the same. Um, So yesterday, New York City hit 9,000 virus deaths. Whatever the numbers are, they're not really accurate because not everybody is being tested. New York City, the biggest hotspot, had 9,000 coronavirus deaths. Um, Thank you to all of you who are on the front lines. Y'all be safe. And to keep them safe, we as a community can... um, We can handle staying home. I know it drives us crazy and the Zoom school schedules are driving us crazier, but let's just, let's flatten this curve. We can do it together. 
thank you so much for the soapbox, Ozma. I definitely appreciate it. And you and you did mention um, education and us getting back to our, at least here in the Virginia area, getting back to school um, starting this week. It's like kind of like an anticipated thing. And quite frankly, you know, we've learned how critical our educators are to our kids during this time, to be honest with you. Like, I'm all about if we have to raise taxes to, to start helping these teachers because it is very hard doing it all. And we are so, you know, like, please praise be to God. Like, to be honest with you, I love my children, but I don't like them that much. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to be real about that right now. And I do have to say, like, it's a very critical time, especially with our holy month coming up. And we are so blessed and thankful that we had one educator here in the Virginia area that essentially rose to the challenge of making our world a safer place. She is the first Muslim elected to the Virginia State Senate this past November. Um, before that, she served as a professor of American literature and as a college administrator for um, nearly 30 years. And I had the the good fortune of be being able to listen to her speech at a, a most recent Engage event, which um, she will talk about. Uh, it gave me goosebumps. Um, please welcome Senator Ghazala Hashmi. Assalamualaikum, Senator. Welcome to the show. Walaikum assalam. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Senator, we were really excited when you won in November. And um, I think last year on a couple of our episodes, we we're like, there's women running, you know, and they're winning. We were really excited to see representation by Muslim women in um, houses of legislature and in cities across America. We're super excited. Can you tell us a little bit about your family background and um, maybe your career and how all of those things kind of helped you decide to do this crazy thing and run for office? I am extremely proud of, doc of Dr. Hashmi um, being from the Virginia area. Well, thank you. And yes, this was an important and uh, symbolic win as well because it flipped a, a seat that had been held by Republicans for close to 30 years. And it was a critical seat to win because it also flipped the Virginia Senate uh, to from red to blue. Uh, this race was important and so many people played such a critical part in, in the campaign. So I've always been very thankful for the role that so many people played. But just to share a little bit about my background, I was really excited to just learn, Ozma, that uh, you and I have a common uh, connection. I was born in Hyderabad and lived there until I was four years old. And my father had uh, come to the States a few years before uh, my mom and my brother and I. He had come here to work on his PhD. And once he finished uh, his degree, we joined him. And he was a professor of political science and American government uh, for 30 years in Georgia Southern University. So I grew up in Georgia. Uh, I have very strong roots and connections to uh, friends in Georgia, and it's uh, played a very important role for me to be a part of uh, the Southern heritage. So I followed my dad's footsteps. I always wanted to uh, be a professor uh, my whole life, and I decided to go into American literature. I looked at uh, the ways in which history and politics shaped uh, American poetry specifically, and how poets helped to shape and define our understanding 
of our American ideals. I've always been very politically uh, active and concerned with uh, the issues that impact all of us, but I had settled into a fairly comfortable life of teaching and working at a community college and enjoyed that. And it wasn't until 2017, (laughs) an event that propelled so many women into politics. And and that was, of course, the uh, election and inauguration of Donald Trump. So what was it about his win specifically for you that made you say, you know what, I have to do something about this and I have to do it now? It employed a rhetoric that was particularly ugly. It sought to uh, demonize certain groups of people, but most especially immigrants and most especially people who are already marginalized and vulnerable. And it was that ugliness that was uh, created apprehension for me. I actually one day um, had driven into work. This was February of 2017. I'd driven into work, pulled into my parking lot, and, and I had a massive panic attack. I had never had a panic attack before in my life, and uh, I couldn't get out of my car. I realized my heart was racing, and I was having difficulty breathing. And it was because on the way to work, I'd listened to an NPR story about uh, the Muslim ban and how there was this talk of creating a Muslim registry. And we know from history that any time these kinds of actions are put into policy, implemented by government, they lead to social catastrophes. These are the roots of the modern-day genocides that we've seen. So I had a panic attack because I was concerned about my family. I was concerned about my community. I was concerned about America. I had to actually take action. You're not just working, you're also a mother. The rest of us, you know, we had those panic attacks too, but, you know, we have the Facebook rants and we have the social media rants. But what do you think was integral in getting you from the panic attack to actually doing something, finding a way to do something? Uh, great question. And and I think, you know, for me, what was important um I ran as an American. I ran as a Virginian. The fact that I was Muslim was important to me personally, but it's not necessarily important to anybody else. My my faith is my personal matter. But I knew that uh, it wasn't just Muslims who were being impacted and who had these concerns. And so the one issue that I knew was critical for me and for my campaign is that I focus on the, co- the concerns that are common to everybody in our community. I understood the issues, whether they're housing insecurity, food insecurity, concerns about the economy, about getting better jobs, uh, access to education. Those were uh, concerns that are vital to so many people. And that's what I focus my campaign on. And I think the reason the message resonated is because uh, the growing inequities that we have seen over the last few decades, especially at the hands in Virginia, at the hands of uh, Republican control legislature, we knew that we had an opportunity for making change. 
And as a fellow Virginian, I definitely appreciate that. Where I specifically met you or to heard you speak was at the Engage Gala. And um, I just want, for, to be honest with you, it was the first time I'd ever really heard of that particular platform. Can you speak a little bit to our audience about what Engage does and what its role, if any, in your particular um, campaign was? So when I learned about Engage, I reached out to them and let them know that I was running and that I would uh, really love to have their endorsement and their support. And uh, I was thankful that uh, after the primary win in June, Engage really came on board strong for me. And it was wonderful for me, especially. It was really exciting to see the, the young folks of Engage being uh, so, so involved. So during the last few uh, months of my campaign in September and in October, uh, these young folks would drive down from Northern Virginia because that's where the main organization is. They would drive down from Northern Virginia and they would spend an uh, entire day just knocking doors for me. So I really appreciated their support and their enthusiasm. One of the comments that uh, one of the young folks made <laughs> has really stood out to me. Uh, he said, you know, uh, we've been focused as a Muslim community on making sure young people are actively involved and are getting engaged with political issues. But then we looked at you and realized, and he paused for a moment. He didn't want to say old, <laughs> but I, I said, oh, you can say it. He said, he said, uh, we realized old people can do this. Too. There's hope <laughs> can, out there for make, us. Uh, these kinds of impacts. <laughs> I said, yes, aunties and uncles should get off their rockers. <laughs> Well, kind of riding on the coattails of that, um, the majority of Muslim Americans have some kind of an immigrant, immigrant background. So what do you think is holding those, those mm -hmm. people back from engaging in, in American politics? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, first of all, as immigrants, so many folks, when they're first generation immigrants, the, the goal is to put your head down, do the hard work, establish yourself put down some roots, make sure your kids get a great education and that they thrive. And so uh, the, the focus is on survival and on community building, on making sure you're able to establish those deep connections in a new country. So I can understand that uh, as part of the reason why um, some in our communities have not been as actively engaged. But there is this concern about politics being the realm of the corrupt. <laughs> and I didn't quite realize that. Having grown up here, um, after the election, I was talking to a gentleman who had been very actively supportive of my campaign and who had donated generously. Um, and we were talking, I said, you know, it just was like uh, pulling teeth to get any, <laughs> get some donations sometimes from the Muslim community. Why is there such a struggle or such a reluctance for, for our community to engage in this very critical uh, area of, of our lives? And, and he said, um, you know, uh, back home, uh, all, all we think of when we think of politics is the, the word corrupt. And so when you called and asked for donations, I said to myself, 
why should I give to another corrupt politician <laughs> when, when uh, I can give to a charity and support the poor? Yeah, and I think it's really important to tell people, especially in the Muslim community who is so involved in social work and social change, you can't get any of that started unless you have the politics to build that social change upon, the politicians upon whom to build that social change. And, you know, I don't know if the hesitation is coming from some kind of misogyny or sexism, um, but I really do think uh, the, the majority of it is based on just that suspicion of, of politics um, and that uh, proclivity to promote social changes, like you said, to charities, orphans, widows, all that stuff that we're recommended to support. Um, but the whole political aspect, people people forget about, especially in this country, they think it's not relevant to them. They're still talking about, oh, who won an election overseas in their countries of origin? And it's like, that doesn't matter. You don't pay taxes over there. You pay them over here. You know, you're not funding wars over there. You're funding wars from here. So you need to pay attention to our elections right here on American soil. And that's been something that's really hard um, to get buy-in for. But, you know, I, I know it needs to start at the grassroots level. Like, you like you started your campaign with. No, I do have to say like at the same event where um, somebody essentially said, you know, you you finally walk into a room and you have representation, right? Like that is why getting involved um, in these political, I mean, it's not, it's not for me, I'm not gonna lie, but I'm happy to support other people, but to have that representation is so key um, for our, for anybody, what, we're, whatever ethnic group you're from, whatever minority group, whatever, um, you know, social economic, I think having that representation um, in government is key. So the fact that you are there and you're getting this started, um, the first Muslim in Virginia and the first Muslim woman is amazing to me. Um, but my question to you is this, as an educator, okay, I'm just going to speak to you mom to mom. This distance learning thing is going to be a little bit stressful, especially during Ramadan when I'm hangry. Do you have <laughs> any tips for me and for our audience as how we're going to survive? <laughs> Ramadan and distance learning from an educator's perspective and from a, a fellow Muslim mom perspective, because I need as much help as I can get. Uh, actually, let's look at it positively. Um, online learning and Ramadan go hand in hand. <laughs> the, the kids are used to staying up late during Ramadan and sleeping in and not having a regular school schedule might actually be very, very conducive to learning. Uh, I have just uh, been so impressed by all the faculty at so many institutions across Virginia, whether they're higher education or our K through 12 system, who have had to switch overnight, basically, into an online teaching pr um, platform. That is not easy to do. But uh, one thing that I, we always recommend in our orientation for students is that they have clear uh, schedules defined that just as you would go to class um, for social studies, for instance, at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, you'd be focused on your social studies classes at 10, make sure you create a calendar. So at whatever time uh, the school requires or if there's flexibility, whatever time is good that works for your schedule, that you allocate that hour or two hours to focusing on just that particular class. 
And having a clear schedule, having a calendar in place, knowing what projects are coming up uh, and being able to forecast the, the time that's needed, all of that is necessary, especially for children. That's all really good advice. Thank you for that. I do want to know, um, Senator Hashmi, during this month of Ramadan, this month of giving, this month of purification, kind of like our start over or do over of the last year, um, there's going to be so much that's different, um, especially when it comes to um, nonprofits that like Engage, who rely on this time of the year to fund their work. Um, Can you speak a little bit to what we can do this Ramadan in order to support an organization like M-Gage and why that should continue to be a priority during this month. Yeah, that's a really important uh, point. So I know a lot of organizations have moved to doing online um, uh, connections. They are holding online fundraisers. They are holding uh, town halls where they're still bringing in speakers and organizing uh, uh, different uh, activities and being able to Uh, continue that work is critically important. So we've had to rethink how we engage with the public, but using the technology that's available to us is very uh, vital. And it just is a matter of making sure that uh, those of us who can, uh, who are still in a position to donate and to contribute and to volunteer in some way or another, is uh, that we continue to do that. No, we de- we definitely appreciate that, and Uzma and I are going to be working together um, to highlight some of these nonprofit organizations that are are that hold um, some meaning to us um, as as well uh, to elevate some of their messages. But how has this is a mommying po- podcast, as as you know? <laughs> but how has motherhood affected your view on lawmaking and what it is that you're doing on a day to day basis? I I actually. One of the critical reasons why I ran is because I'm the mother of two daughters and knowing how uh, women's issues are at the forefront of so many of our concerns, knowing that women have not had the opportunity historically to have their issues addressed at the level that we need them to be and that women suffer disproportionately anytime bad policies and bad laws are put into place, whether those are issues around healthcare, around uh, issues of violence, um, around access to education or job opportunities. Women have uh, been historically marginalized and uh, their, their concerns have not been at the forefront. And anytime women's issues are brought to the forefront, anytime those issues are um, really given the kind of, uh, or addressed in the way that they need, that's when society changes. That's when society progresses. So as a mother of two daughters, one of my main reasons for running was to make sure that we support um, women, that we support mothers, that they have the opportunities to succeed in the society. And when they succeed, their children succeed. 
No, you're a hundred percent correct about that. And I feel like moms get stuff done. That is our fundamental core of mobbing well Muslim. Um, just to your point, like we will fight fiercely for our children. I love that's going to be my takeaway for today, but you know, we have a little bit of extra time. Um, at least I do, uh, in the quarantine, and you are a professor of literature. So do you have any specific book that you're like, you know what, guys, you have a little of extra time. This is what you should be reading right now, because I definitely need some sort of guidance because I've read everything. I always recommend a book that people sometimes find odd, but uh, Moby Dick is my most favorite mm -hmm. novel. I think it is a comprehensive evaluation of the human condition, <laughs> anything you want to know, um, basically about uh, humanity is, is in Moby Dick. The, the only main concern I have with Moby Dick, unfortunately, though, is that there are no women <laughs> in Moby Dick, <laughs> but, but it helps us to understand the world of, of men sometimes, but of humanity in general. Um, so that's uh, my my go-to recommendation. But um, curiously enough, because of the quarantine, I, I am digging into my stacks of books that I have not had an opportunity to really read uh, for the past several months. And I just finished reading um, uh, Underground Railroad. It it makes you cry in some places, and uh, but it's it's such a, a necessary evaluation. Of, of our American life and uh, why we are where we are. I like how you um, are talking about the Underground Railroad being a reflection of where, why we're where we are today. And we so appreciate all the work that you're doing. We love all the issues that you stand for. And if there's anything that we can do to help you in your next campaign, let us know because we want the positivity to keep rolling out to not just the rest of Virginia, but to our states who need more female representation and um, just need to really actually drain the correct swamp. Thank you so much, Dr. Hashmi. We really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for all the great work you are doing. Well, that's another strong mama for everybody. Assalamualaikum, everyone. We'll see you again next week. Assalamualaikum. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.